Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season three of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. It was a big deal for him to tell our parents. I was never going to be able to come out at home. I I knew in my heart of hearts that it was always going to be okay. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. And I walked up to her in this bar and I said, you know, I've got something to tell you. And she was like, oh my God, you're going to tell me you're gay. And I kind of outed me and I was like, oh. If you'd have gone into my teenage bedroom compared to my sister's, all the stuff on my walls were women looking back. (laughs) But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. And so I, like, I felt a real responsibility to not bring, to not bring more of that on on everyone at home because it was already so hard. I don't think she spoke to him for a, a, like quite a long time. Mm. She didn't. She didn't take it well at all. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. This weekend marked the 50th anniversary of the first Pride March in the UK. Reflecting on that and on some of the guests I've had on through the three seasons of Relatively, I decided to hold the final episode of season three with comedian Tom Ward and collect together some stories of siblings who chose to talk about their identity on the podcast. First up is Gok Wan from season two, who talked about the safety of home and the love of his family as a child who was racially bullied and picked on for being overweight. They are and they were brilliant parents. They weren't conventional parents at all, but they were really good. And it was us, it was us against the world, really. And, you know, way before the pandemic, we talked about bubbles. <laughs> we were in a bubble and it was a lovely bubble. The minute we left that bubble, we became very vulnerable, all of us, actually. And it was very, very tough to go out and, and, and be picked on or bullied and think, why, why am I so different? Why do people need to point out those differences so publicly and make me feel bad about myself? Because apparently I'm all right because when I go home everything's lovely and I'm all right and I'm accepted for who I am and no one cares about my race or my sexuality well at the time I wasn't out but no one cares about who I am as a person I'm just me I fit in perfectly in this running order in our family but the minute we left the restaurant it was different and so that was quite a difficult thing to deal with because it was it was every single day you had to face the big wide world does that make any sense it absolutely does make sense and I think it's a theme of this podcast So you say he moved out at 16 quite early after you finished sharing your bedroom and that he knew he was gay but hadn't come out yet and that he needed the space is how you described it. What was that period like when he moved out? Strange because obviously we'd been sharing a bedroom the whole time and it was quite nice because I mean literally he was a five minute walk from the from the restaurant um, straight up the Foss Road. I wasn't leaving the family I was just going into the granny annex I was just going somewhere that I could then you know be the person that I was going to be, by which time I knew that I was different. I remember being a a, a real, genuinely equal combination of terrified 
but also uh, uh, exhilarated by the freedom. Did you know he was gay before he told you he was gay? It didn't come as a surprise, but no. I think the last thing you do as a sibling, you know, you don't look at your brother and think, oh, he's gay. Or yes. you look at your sister and think, oh, you know, she, you know. Yeah, you don't categorise you know, your siblings thing, the, or your family, really, No, exactly. No, but why would you? I knew that I had to be away from the family to work out who I was as a person. I was never going to be able to come out at home. I, I knew in my heart of hearts that it was always going to be okay. Um, but there was, if there was ever a 0.0001% chance that I might lose a member of my family, then that risk was too, hard, too mm. high. Like a little chrysalis, really. You went away to yeah. just a little bit of... I like yeah, that idea. I went, yeah, exactly. The butterfly. The butterfly, the butterfly arrived. Or a moth. No, Depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> Interior designers Edward Robinson and Sophie Robinson came on at the start of season three. Like Gok and Coughlin, Edward was bullied as a boy and felt fearful that his identity would be judged. I'm a gay man, so um, that was probably quite a tricky time for me at school, growing up, not really knowing, like, is this normal to think like this or to feel like this? Mm. I remember sort of things like fancying your games teacher. I think everybody fancies their game teacher. But Mr Thomas <laughs> at my secondary school was particularly hot in his um, brightly coloured shell suits that he used to wear. <laughs> Coming back in fashion now, Mr Thomas. Coming back in fashion, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think and even that, and that was, you know, it's that struggle of I'm liking people, but I know it's wrong. I mean, it's not wrong, but at the time you think it is because you get singled out as a being a, being a puff or whatever it is, horrible words that kids use. His sister Sophie was the first person Edward came out to. Having stood up for him in the playground, she is still very protective. I, I can remember it really well. It was a New Year's Eve party in London and he'd come along with a group of my friends for some New Year's Eve party and it was, you know, two in the morning after quite a few glasses of fizz. <laughs> I think it was New Year 2000. She was living in Elephant Castle. And I was with a gay friend of mine who was outly gay, but I wasn't. Mm. My friend said, you've just got to tell your sister and now's a perfect time. And I walked up to her in this bar and I said, you know, I've got something to tell you. And she was like, oh my God, you're going to tell me you're gay. And I and kind of outed me and I was like, oh. And, uh, and he sort of said, oh, you know, I'm gay. And I was like, yeah, I know you are. <laughs> Fine. Bit of an anti-climax, probably. Yeah, you stole his thunder. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yes, I know you are, and, you know, whatever. I didn't even get the chance. And uh, she said, oh, um, you should tell mum and dad, but they know anyway. And I can li- <sighs> literally was just like, oh, my God, my whole world just sort of felt folded in on myself because I was just like, how can they know? I, I kept it so, you know, I kept it so, the secret so well. But um, <laughs> Are you saying that with a slight wry smile, Edward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think they, mamas always know and dad knew. It was just never really talked about. It was a big deal for him to tell our parents. And, you know, I really felt for him for that. And I was really willing him to do it. But it took, a, it took years, wow. I think. Mm. My mum did ask me at a young age at college and I flatly denied it, totally denied it and said, how could she have thought of something so disgusting and all this sort of thing. But I think at the time I was just a bit like, it was my little secret and maybe I hadn't quite come to terms with it anyway, so I wasn't really sure. I mean, it's still at that time where I didn't really know any gay people. Mm. It's a lot more open and accepted and talked about and visible now, I think, Mm. than it was in the 90s. And I remember sort of thinking, no, no, he's not. Because I think I was frightened deep down of what that would mean for him, the Mm. disadvantages and the prejudice that that would, you know, having already 
defended him for being bullied most of his school life thinking oh no (laughs) hopefully not that not with any personal prejudice just through protective feelings I think well, you so don't want your sibling to be vulnerable, do you? Vulnerable, that's, exactly. It's... I think that's exactly what it was. So we didn't really talk about it. I told Dad in a very strange occasion, we were on a rally in Wales, in a car rally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as you do. You and, do pick um, your moments, Millennium Eve moments. car rally. <laughs> well, because Sophie had said, Sophie said, oh, well, Dad's going to ask you if you don't tell him. And it might be this weekend. And I was like, I need to get in there first. I don't want him to ask me because I'll deny it. So um, I, we were in this rally stage, it was about three in the morning and we were just about to get to the starting line and we were just chatting away and sharing a cigarette and that kind of thing. And I said, um, and he actually brought it up. He was like, oh, you know, how's college and how's your love life? And who, are you seeing anybody? And I was kind of like, no, no. And he's like, oh, are you seeing any girls? I was like, no. Are you seeing any boys? I was like, uh, no. And then it all came out, it was actually a really lovely conversation. He was like, you know, whatever you are and whoever you're going to be, I love you still. And it's actually a really bizarre conversation. And then, and then before you know it, there was a guy outside saying five, four, three, two, one, go. And then it was like 80 miles an hour down a, down a racetrack. Perfect get so, out though from the awkward perf- follow on conversation. Perfect get out. I mean, it was pretty, it was just very bizarre uh, uh, occasion. And actually dad's been great. You know, he's, he's kind of embraced it and he understands, you know, just wants to be happy for us all, you know? Yeah. And I wonder when you're thinking about your brother now, obviously things have moved on enormously and he's, um, as you say, out and very proud of his identity. Do you still reserve a little bit of that protective tiger older sister for him? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Don't cross my brother, man. I'm coming for you. (laughs) Labour MP Angela Eagle, like her twin Maria, was more into chess and revising than parties and crushes as a schoolgirl. And I sort of had my sort of teenage time slightly later when I was about 18, 19, got into the pretenders, went round music, things like that. But I never did the sort of crushes, parties thing, really. I was too busy studying. And when did you know you were gay? And when did that all become something that you could kind of enjoy and explore? Um... I suppose I, if if you'd have gone into my teenage bedroom compared to my sister's, although we did share for many, many years because we didn't have spare bedrooms, all the stuff on my walls were women, looking back. <laughs> and all and Maria had all sort of men and I had all women. So I think the clues were there quite, <laughs> quite early on. Uh, but it, that side of me wasn't something that I was that... You know, I wanted to do other things before I... Before I sort of explored any of that, I didn't feel a great need to. Uh, but probably, you know, very early 20s, probably. Mm. And was that ever an issue or was it just... No, never an, never an issue. Thank mm. goodness. My parents weren't, um, weren't prejudiced in any way like that. So, In June 2016 in the UK, we had the Brexit referendum. A month later, Maria moved into Angela's flat with a broken foot and provided solace for Angela, who was standing for the leadership of the Labour Party and facing online abuse for her sexuality, among other things. But I wasn't sort of quite as focused as she was on on the day-to-day what was going on. Also, I was debilitated at the time. I'd broken my foot on the day of the the referendum. And so I was for a few weeks was pretty incapacitated. 
Um, and that happened to coincide with when all that was going on. And so uh, my best role at the time was just just to try and be a, um, you know, an emotional support to her. And it, I think she found it quite stressful, as you would. Um, it was a stressful time. And, and so I felt a bit useless not being able to help her as much as I would have liked. I was going to say all... You, you said all that, if you put that in, you know, air quotes, that encompasses an awful lot of vitriol online and actually a death threat in actuality and all sorts of abuse that she put up with by putting herself yeah. forward. Yeah. Hideous. And, you know, I mean, she she's often had more of that than me, partly because she's LGBT and, and a, as the, obviously the first sort of out woman MP who wasn't um, who wasn't outed as it were mm. uh, there was a whole element of, of that kind of homophobic abuse that she's had to put up with that I've never had to put up with mm. um, people always say oh you're so similar and, and it's like yeah well, we're similar in many ways but actually I'm not gay you know mm. I'm not LGBT like her that's quite a big difference it wasn't an easy thing to do and but but it it was it it seemed the right thing to do at the time and you know it was a a fairly astonishing experience not least because of the the, the massive amounts of abuse that came my way um which was difficult to cope with but i i like to think i did cope with it and i recovered from it reasonably hmm. and were you aware at the time obviously you're your poor sister with her broken foot was doing her best to kind of cheer you on from the sidelines and offer yes, of solace course. and encourage you. Of course, and obviously she had broken her foot trying to keep us in the European <laughs> Union. And in <laughs> fact, you know, she she had to come and stay with us um, because she couldn't get up the stairs to her flat. So we were actually together during the most the most wild bit of that particular time. But I was no use to oh you were to anyone. of course you were I you were fantastic you couldn't do anything to help no she was she was a great <laughs> use and she was a great solace and she understood and of course the house was under siege with the media outside and you know I mean I was being bombarded with um, abuse across all social media outlets but these experiences are you have to cope with them in life you know. And I did, but um, I did with the help of and both the Marias in my life, my, my partner Maria and my sister Maria. She was um, saying about the differences in your teenage bedrooms when I asked her when she, was, when she knew she was gay. And she sort of said, if I visited my teenage bedroom now, I probably could have told my teenage self that I was, but I wasn't really thinking about when it. When you look back. <laughs> yeah. exactly. But I wonder whether her bravery, when you say about the abuse that she endured was formed or innate or whether she's had to be latterly for some of those really difficult and horrible reasons i think it's i think it's pretty innate but i think that um it's been more difficult because of some of those things that have happened um based either either on on, on the fact that she's She's been more exposed as an LGBT person. She's been more exposed as somebody who's taking that step, for example, standing for the leadership. And that is a very exposing thing to do, whoever you are. So 
I mean, I it was very brave of her to do that. There's no doubt about it. And before we go and get to her, I wonder how, this is a really practical question, but how you cope with those sort of really visceral feelings of, um, like your gorge rises, I, I think, when someone uh, attacks your brother or sister. There's a very kind of physical response that's pure anger. And you must have had those feelings quite a lot over the years. What you do with them? Do you talk them out with her or do you play chess or go for a run or how do you deal with that feeling of like back off that's my twin we've always seen sort of supporting each other rather than going out and having a fight with somebody else is the way to do it I well, think I wasn't implying you went out and had a fight but you know well it probably has been known in the dim distant past but not for a long time this season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. By 1921, people from all over the world had begun arriving in Britain to start new lives. People like the remarkable Dr. Harold Moody. Jamaican-born Dr. Moody graduated top of his class studying medicine at King's College London and set up a practice working from home after struggling to find a job. Perhaps there's an inspiring story in your past. Find out in the 1921 census, exclusively available online at findmypast.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Finally, right at the start of season one, drag queen Davina de Campo and her sister Caris came on. Their childhood spanned a time when Section 28 was still in force, which made life very complicated for Davina, who was named Owen as a baby. It was a programme that they'd done a study in India, and it's about how the testosterone levels reduce as you go through the families. You can really see it in our family. Right, because there's all the boys, Davina's at the end, then there's Philippa, and then there's me. And would you say that the boys get less boyish then, even those top three, top four? Yeah, I would say they all get a little less manly along the way. <laughs> <laughs> would they thank you for saying that or would they not mind? No, I don't think they would. I don't know. Don't tell them. <laughs> and when did you know that um, Owen might end up with a different identity as a grown-up when did you know that Davina might be emerging from your brother Owen I think um it's always been pretty clear Owen wasn't like the other people he was he's always been super flamboyant 
about everything. So it was no shock to anyone when he said he was gay. Like, and nobody thought anything of him dressing up because we'd always dressed up. Was it a problem with your parents or anyone like that? Or was it just like, we've got seven of these <laughs> and they're all so different. And this is just the way that Owen's different. Or was there kind of a like, ooh, that's something new? Because I, I felt like even with Drag Race, the first series, there was a lot of explaining of drag and sort of gender identity and those things going on. And that's 2019. So, yeah. well, Oh, God, yeah, back back when Owen decided he was gay. Well, my mum didn't take it well. I don't think she spoke to him for a, a, like, quite a long time. Mm-hmm. She didn't She didn't take it well at all. We don't, we don't see our dad. He's not part of the picture. Um, but, yeah, she, mum didn't take it too well at all. Although, but now she's his biggest fan. So, you know, she's over it now. We all get over stuff in the end, don't we? I wonder if we if it's a question of getting over something like that or actually understanding because that's what I was trying to say it the fact that in 2019 drag race was still having to kind of explain it to people means that back when Owen was a boy that's a lot of learning for your mum to do and understanding isn't it yeah and I think it's explaining it to other people as well because even if she did understand it other people wouldn't would they when when did you know you were gay and when did you come out? How old were you? Oh, God, I knew when I was like 11, 12. I mean, I was the Christmas fairy all year long at school, you know, like the Rainbow Ranger running up and down the school halls, singing show tunes and kicking my legs around. So it was pretty obvious to everybody. But I came out at 14 and actually she'd asked me when we were in Ibiza. Oh, had she? Yeah. And what did you say? Do you remember the the pool was in the just in front of where the hotel was, and then there were those stairs that went down to the beach? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, that one. It was there. Yeah, she said. Sometimes I think you're gay, and I said, "Well, actually, I think I am." Yeah, and she, she was just, hoping you were going to say, "No, I'm not." Yeah. Whereas I was like, "Well, I've been told not to lie. I shouldn't lie. I've been getting in trouble for lying for my entire life." Oh, tell the truth. Yeah, I think I am. Oh no. She hates it. <laughs> Can't win. Yeah, no, not really. And what did you feel, Karis? Like, did you feel a sense of protection towards Davina at school or school was awful because people would just come up to me and go, Your brother's gay, and I'd be like, Yeah, and I'm not sure what you want from me. That was another like weight on top of me as well, you know, feeling like <sighs> all these other people in my family are having to deal with this as well and it's not their fault and it's not their problem. And But no, but nobody should. I think it comes back to the kids are horrible thing, doesn't it? Yeah. But equally, I knew that, you know, I was I was lucky in that I had the, the sort of mindset of, I know that the popular kids and the cool kids are going to still be in Brighouse in 30 years' time. And I know that they're going to be married at... 17 and they're going to have four kids by the time they're 20 oh, yeah. I don't want that for me so I'm not going to stay around these people I'm going to go and do something else they're not your friends no and it was it, I knew that it was going to be you know like a two or three year experience rather than this is my entire life now I knew that I was going to go and do something different that's amazing because most teenagers feel like school is the universe and 
the present that they're living through is going to carry on forever. I think it's really unusual to have a perspective that life is bigger than secondary school at that age. Yeah, I think a lot of that was, there were some really great teachers at Rastrick High at that time. Some of them are still there. They helped, you know, a lot with that. What would happen was I would get uh, harassed and bullied for two or three months and then I would explode and I would beat the crap out of somebody and then people would leave me alone for three or four weeks there was like lower school upper school sixth form so whoever it was who I'd kick their head in I'd always go to the corresponding office and be like I'm really sorry I just flipped out today and I beat this kid up um (laughs) and they'd be like well you mustn't do that but nobody's come to talk to us about it so yeah Oh, well. Carry on. Yeah, basically. (laughs) So that's amazing. You felt like they might have had your back. Yeah, and especially because Section 28 was still in place, they knew that they possibly would would face the sack if they did step in. You know, it it wasn't exactly what the the legislation said, but if if the PTA decided that that was what they, they wanted, that they'd stood up for a gay kid, then that's what they could have pushed for because it would have been promoting homosexuality as a valid lifestyle choice. Um, so they couldn't have stepped in in the way that I think now teachers absolutely can. I read somewhere when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died that unless your rights have been debated in the Supreme Court, then you are privileged. And I think it's really interesting that you've brought legislation in to look back at your adolescence because that says so much, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I knew that it was in place at the time. You know, I knew the score. It wasn't that I didn't know what was going on. I absolutely did. But everybody's hands were kind of tied. So the only thing that I could do was um, just carry on. But also I was like, you know, I know that it's better me getting bullied than somebody who's going to go home and kill themselves. You know, it was better me having that because I knew that I was not going to do that because I wanted to do something with my life. Did you tell Karis when you were being bullied? I don't know. No, you didn't have to. I I knew. I I remember being in the school hall and Owen walked through and people were jeering at him like it was awful. And I was just like, and people were going, is that your brother? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, there's nothing I can do. It was public knowledge that he was getting bullied. That's a horrendous image you've just described. It was, and I remember that really vividly. He was saying earlier, oh, I worried everybody had to, it's not their problem, it's not their this. I mean, being gay is nobody's problem. But did you feel his pain in that instance? Oh, yeah, it was horrific. But I was just like, I can't do anything because it just puts me in the place to be bullied. Like, and people were already trying because they were like, your brother's gay, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, the only thing I could do was ignore it. Mm. There's nothing you can do because I was like, I can't put myself in that position. No, because it was horrendous. It really was horrendous. Self-preservation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Which was very much how our family operated as well. The quick and the hungry at dinner time. <laughs> When you sort of look back at your, you know how you do when you get older, I don't know how old you are even, but you look back at yourself as a teenager and you feel like quite separate people sometimes. And I think you can feel pity or pride or protection towards that sort of other younger person. And I wonder if you look back at that person at secondary school and just think, 
flipping out. You had no idea how good it was going to get, but crikey, that was hard. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt like the protection towards Philippa because Philippa and I had been really, really close. So we'd always played together at junior school, you know, and then <clears throat> I'd already started getting bullied in year seven. Philippa said she felt like I was ignoring her, you know, later. We'd had this conversation about how she said she felt like I'd been ignoring her. I think an element of that was that I wanted I wanted her to not have um, have all the shit that was coming at me. I didn't want that to be put onto her. Um, so, so I sort of I hadn't ignored her, but I definitely changed our relationship while we were at school. So it's sort of not hard to see where this whole thing that you seem to have about taking everyone's problems on your shoulders comes from, because you were just trying to make it all right for everyone and yourself. Yeah, I mean, we were we were having it was a really, really tough time. Um, Mum and dad had broken up. They were like. It was like World War Three, and then we had all, I had all this at school as well, um, and so I like I felt a real responsibility to not bring to not bring more of that on on everyone at home because it was already so hard. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. I just um, it's sorry. fine. I've. Uh, <laughs> I said, don't be interested. He's a sensitive soul. <laughs> I just need to go for therapy, that's all. I can oh. recommend it. <laughs> Thank you to Davina and Karis, Angela and Maria, Sophie and Edward, Corklin and Gok. Happy Pride to everyone from Relatively and thank goodness for sibling support. Thank you to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use her amazing song. This is a pocket production and sound design is by Nick Carter at mixsonics.com. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors for this season of Relatively, Find My Past, for digging into their extraordinary records and uncovering surprising and often revelatory family stories. Find My Past is the only place online where you can access the 1921 census. So if you want to start your family tree or add colour to what you know already, then findmypast.co.uk is the place to do it. of love and hate Stand by the fireside Now the rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Only your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time Ever. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 